Well, as I mentioned before, today we are concluding our sermon series on the Being Challenge. We're entering into that last week of going through the 40-day challenge of being with our life groups through this series, and then we'll, of course, continue it up with something else as we move into November and the Christmas time. And you'll recall that we have looked at quite a few of these keystone habits. We've looked at community, about being connected to Jesus Christ, who is the vine, right? Who creates the community. We've looked at scripture and the importance of reading in God's word, being in God's word. We looked at the power of prayer. And last week we talked about drawing close to God. And today we're looking at choosing church. And to kind of prep the scene for choosing church, we're going to look at a question. And so lately I've been thinking about questions when do you ask them? How do you ask them? Thinking about the answers that you give, how do you respond to questions? Is it context that kind of depends on your answer? Is it who's asking it? Is it your own mood or where the question is being asked? You get hit really with a lot of variations of this question. Maybe you've already been asked it today. How's it going? Anybody hit anybody with a how's it going? Or are you more of a, hey, how are you? What's good, my dude? How are things? Anybody still doing, what's up? No? Just a fun then. But how did you answer today when you were asked, how's it going, what's up? Did anybody do the double shaka? The good? The so good? I've got like a hundred answers here, so you better start shouting out what it is that you got, or we could be here for a while. Nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, the fine. Okay, I like it. Do you really want to? That's good. Because then it opens it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, what about questions that require timing? This is one that I get asked to every once in a while. Now, you see a pickle on someone else's plate. It's with their meal. Your meal did not come with a pickle. When is the appropriate time to say, can I have your pickle? And how do you respond, right? You respond, yes, of course, please take it. Do you cut it in half? It all really depends, I think. Now, you get hit with, I Googled this, so it's true, thousands of questions every day. Some you answer, some you ignore. Some will change your responses throughout the day. But our text today has our Lord Jesus asking a question that each one of us is to answer. So if you got your Bibles, we're picking up here in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 16. So if you brought them today, pull out those Bibles, and let's dive into it. Now, the verses, of course, will always be on this, uh, the slide as well. But to give you a little context of what prompts some of these questions here, Jesus has just been questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They wanted to know a little bit about him, and after spending some time with his disciples and shutting down the Pharisees and Sadducees, he warns them about the leavened bread of the Pharisees' teaching. And of course, the disciples, they don't get it. They're like, why is he talking about bread? Were we supposed to have brought bread to the secret meeting? And he's like, guys, I'm warning you about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This isn't really about bread. And he pulls them away then. And he asked them two questions that we're going to look at today. So this is Matthew chapter 16. Here's verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Caesarea Philippi was an area that was associated with idols and lots of different deities or gods. 
throughout the area, there were scattered temples of the ancient Syrian Baal worship. In one place, there was this like great hill in which inside the hill was a cavern, and it was said to be the birthplace of the god Pan, who I had to look up. I didn't know who he was, but apparently he's the god of nature. In other places, there was a giant great white temple here built to Caesar. So there were several different gods throughout this whole area that Jesus has entered into. And I think it's crazy to think about Jesus deliberately pulling the disciples into this place, setting himself against the background of the world's religions, their history, their, their splendor, their temples, and asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And that question is something I'd like to think about. Why does Jesus ask this question of who do people say that he is? This doesn't seem to me like a question that Jesus would ask. This seems like a question that Trevor would ask. Have you ever Googled yourself? Yeah. Ever spent some time creating your own persona on your social media, looking at your pictures and being like, that doesn't quite line up with the aesthetic that I'm going for here. What about in the workplace? Have you worked hard to create a certain persona amongst the people you work with or maybe even in your friend group? I think the saying is, all the world's a stage and we're the performers. This is a question that I ask myself wondering, what is the balance between not caring about what others think versus being obsessed with how I am viewed? But Jesus didn't ask this question because he didn't know who he was or because he was somehow dependent on the opinion of others. And in this moment, he's just feeling a little insecure He's asking this question as an introduction to a more important follow-up question. And I want you to remember that today, my friends, that the question of what do others say is a question that is not as important as the next question that Jesus will ask. But the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I wonder, I wonder how they answered that. Because if they didn't get the part about the bread in the chapter before, I wonder if they thought maybe he's getting at something here. Do you think when he asked it that the disciples kind of like lean back, that like little scratch the face when you're pretending to think real hard? Do I have any students here when the teacher asks the question and you do the lean back like, oh, that's a good one. But then you look directly down so you don't get called on. I wonder if they gave an answer knowing that it wasn't true, but they wanted to respond or if they thought that, you know what, maybe he wants to see that we're like really in the know with these people. Maybe Jesus actually does care who people thought or what people thought. And so they're like, you know, he was the son of a carpenter. He's really coming up from nothing. He's pretty popular right now. So they eagerly start to say some things. You know, they grab the clippings of the newspaper and they're like, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Because if you knew, John was a preacher of repentance. He was all about turning away from your sins. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount certainly talks about needing to repent, does it not, from the sin that has corrupted and invaded all of our life. So maybe that's what people thought. Maybe, maybe that's all that we need from Jesus. Someone who tells us what is right and what is wrong. Someone who gives us advice for living and how to get ahead. Some thought that Jesus was Elijah, a worker of miracles. He fed 5,000 people, he'd healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf. He had brought back the dead, he had been casting out demons. Maybe that's all we need Jesus to do, to heal us when we are sick or when we need something. 
thinking otherwise you know we're pretty resourceful people we can kind of figure life out on our own there were those who said he was like jeremiah one of the other prophets after all none of the pharisees or the teachers of the law could compete with the way that jesus taught in fact what does the scripture say no one has ever taught with authority like this man does and perhaps in seeing Jesus as just these roles, people were hoping for a political Messiah who would overthrow the corrupt power that they were under of that oppressing Roman rule. Because each one of these, John, Elijah, Jeremiah, they were national reformers who stood up to the corrupt rulers of their day. But as you look at these answers and you reflect maybe on how even our own selves have been classifying Jesus. Here, the general tendency is to underestimate him, to give him a measure of respect and honor, but to fall short of declaring who he really is. Wanting Jesus to just be someone who fits our needs or fits inside our plans. So he lets them give an answer and then he turns around and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? It was fine for the disciples to know what others thought about Jesus, but Jesus asked them point blank as individuals, what do you believe about me? Friends, this is the question that is placed before all who hear of Jesus. And it is we, not Jesus, who will be judged or defined by our answer. If you get asked thousands of questions today, how would you answer this one? Who do you say Jesus is? And what if I told you that we answer this question every day by what we believe and by what we do? Who we believe Jesus is affects the way that we think and speak and do. I don't think this is a multiple choice or fill in the blank answer. I think this is a question that is answered with our very lives. Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What else would you like to add? King of love? Good shepherd? Would you say he is the resurrection and the life? Would you say he is the prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God? Would you call him the vine, the mighty fortress, the way, the truth, the life? It is a very straightforward question. And each one of us must give a response. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I love that because he is blessed. Blessed because of confessing. Jesus doesn't say, that is correct, and move on. But says, this has been revealed to you. You didn't figure this out on your own, but it is a truth that was given to you by God himself. You are 
blessed. And then goes on to say, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You remember Simon, right? That's his real name. I think Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means rock, because it was a promise of God's continual work in the life of St. Peter. I mean, think about it. Jesus changed his name, even though when he was called, Peter stood up and said, get away from me. Actually, he fell down to his knees and said, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I have no business following you or worthy of you. But Jesus picks him up and says, I'm going to make you something new. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You can't go another chapter when then Jesus is going to turn around and say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, who's going to try to stop him from going to the cross. And then you go a few more chapters, and you're going to say, this same Peter here who is the rock being told, no, 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 I don't know who Jesus is. But Jesus says right here, on this rock, I will build my church. Because it's not about the man, it's about the confession that he made. The confession that he made that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, will change him. Because when we confess that, it is more than just words being said. It's like it says in Romans 10, right? When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that by the power of the Holy Spirit, change will come and we will be saved. This is the good confession, the response that we cry out. And in doing so, we are changed. St. Peter is a fantastic example of how God takes people and through his work, through his word, through his strength and grace and mercy and forgiveness and changes them. And that goes for you and I as well. Because however unlikely it may have seemed, Peter was a rock and would become a rock for the church because God would continually transform his shifting character into something that was solid and reliable. Because Peter knew who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Messiah means anointed one, the one who has been set apart to save and deliver. And not only that, the son of the living God, God come in the flesh, to dwell amongst us. When we confess Jesus as Lord, that's more than just saying who Jesus is, but it is declaring what Jesus has done for us. He is the rock that hell does not break, nor can he be contained. And says that here, we too will be the church, the disciples of the living God built on the promise and work of Jesus Christ, who is our rock, our mighty fortress. If you ever have a chance to read First Peter, I think Peter remembers this moment because he talks about being living stones. He calls Jesus Christ the cornerstone upon whom we are built, but says that we are living stones. He says this in 1 Peter 2, coming to him as to a living stone who was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, precious, you also, us, are living stones being built into the spiritual house, a holy priesthood offered up as spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Peter would call us one, all stones built on Jesus to become something else. This is the first time in the gospel, actually really anywhere in the Bible, that we see the word church, the Greek word ecclesia. This is way before Acts chapter 2. Do you know what that word means there in the Greek? It simply means group, called out group. A people who have been set apart and called by name. We talked about letting the water flow being baptized by name into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, part of the church, called to give witness to who Jesus is and to serve and live in His church. For the church belongs to Jesus. The church is formed by Jesus. Break that down in those last two lines. Look at that. On this rock, on this confession... The belief that Jesus saves and is God. He says, I will build. Christ himself will bring people together in community, gathered around his word, his sacrament, and unite them in prayer and in love and call them church, a group of people who belong to him and will participate with him. And the gates of hell will not overcome. For in his church, he will make it a stronghold, a place of light, of love. I want to bring the band up to start playing because I need music for this last part here. Because the forces of death and darkness cannot prevail or conquer against the group that is Jesus is. The church. That is a valuable promise in dark or discouraging times. This is the promise given when we face death. When we lose the ones that we love. We go back and remember that hell and death and the power of Satan does not have the last say but my Lord Jesus does. That is his promise. That when we feel broken and alone and isolated, that we are not, but we are being formed and brought together. Rock on top of rock on top of rock, united to Christ Jesus. Asked who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? We stand up and give an answer, but we never do it alone. You've been here when we installed people, when we have brought new members in here, when we sing and confess our own faith. We stand together as the people of God and declare what we believe. We walk the journey of discipleship on the road together. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to step out of the lonely darkness and to hold hand by hand in this newness of life, equipped with His Spirit inside of us, His gospel message taking root in our lives, knowing first and foremost who our Jesus is and what He has done for us. Why do we come together as church to give praise? To say thank you to Jesus. 
the Lord who asks the penetrating questions and weeds out all the hearsay, the cliches, the half-truths to get to what matters. Him. It's why we say who Jesus is. It's why we take up these habits that we have looked like. It's why we commit to being in community one with another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another with God's word, to submit ourselves to Christ Jesus, to be the church. This, this is what it is about. There can be no question. We follow Jesus together. he is ours and we are his next week is reformation sunday the celebration the promise where we find that nothing stops our god from coming to us from loving us from uniting us